Welcome to the Rabbi Greenberg Show, the podcast that brings Jewish knowledge to you. In our previous lessons on gratitude, we established that there are four rules, one could say, in order for gratitude to be authentic. Because if the idea of gratitude is to focus on yourself, it misses the whole point. The whole idea of gratitude is about the other. So it follows then that number one, when you express gratitude, the I should be minimized. Yes, you say, I thank you, but the I should be less prominent than the thank you. That's rule number one. Rule number two, in order for gratitude to be true gratitude, that it's not just an expression of one's own ego and one's own celebration of his or her good fortune, the gratitude must be directed. You have to say to whom you're grateful. I'm grateful to God for opening my eyes this morning. I'm grateful to God for my ability to take care of my family. I'm grateful to my neighbor for helping me when I was in time of need, and so on and so forth. You have to direct it. You're grateful to someone. Otherwise, you're just celebrating your own good fortune, and you're reveling in your own good news and your own happiness. That's not gratitude. That's something that has nothing to do with gratitude. It's about an extension of yourself, just happy to be who you are and focusing on yourself. To make gratitude even more authentic, there has to be a specific thing for which you're grateful. In other words, if someone helps you with a loan, so I'm grateful for the loan. If someone helps you, a doctor helps you with recovering from an illness, I'm grateful for my recovery from illness due to your help, and so on and so forth. You have to be specific about what the gratitude is, because if the gratitude is about something minimal, then of course you have to be grateful for even minimal things. But of course you have to show appreciation for whatever it is that you got to make the gratitude really authentic and make it complete. And then we come to point number four. Point number four is gratitude has to grow. It's usually the other way around. Usually when you get something from someone, you say, oh, thank you so much. The next day, the gratitude is gone. Now, this is a challenging aspect of gratitude, that you can't just stay on one level. You have to keep on allowing the gratitude to grow. And that is the challenge that I want to go into today. And the topic that I want to explore today is gratitude beyond quid pro quo. You see, gratitude is always response to something that you receive from God, from someone else. And therefore, there's a reciprocal response that you are grateful to that person. You show that person that you acknowledge what they did for you. That's what we call quid pro quo, that you are giving someone something commensurate with what they gave you. But there's really a much higher form of gratitude, a form of gratitude that is beyond quid pro quo, a form of gratitude that expresses your gratitude to whoever it is, ideally to God first and then to whoever else was God's messenger, 
And this gratitude is way beyond what you received. And let me illustrate this with a famous story in the Talmud. The Talmud is trying to teach us lessons in honoring our father and mother. One of the Ten Commandments, honor your father and mother. In another place in Leviticus, it says, you shall revere your father and mother, your mother and father. So what is the underlying rationale for this commandment? Of course, every commandment we keep first and foremost because it's God's will that we do it, with or without an explanation. However, the medieval sources and scholars always try to rationalize the commandments, not because they believe that we keep the commandment because of the rationale for it. We keep the commandment because it's a commandment. But the commandment has to then enter into our consciousness. It has to resonate within us. And we have to learn lessons from the commandment in addition to the actual performance of it. So the Chinuch, one of the medieval sources that explains all of the 613 commandments, explains that Honoring a parent, respecting a parent, is essentially a quid pro quo. Look what they did for us. They gave us first and foremost life. Then they sustained us. They take care of our needs. So we have to show appreciation in kind by reciprocating the honor and reverence that they gave us, the things that they gave us, we have to show them our appreciation. So the Talmud illustrates the degree to which one has to honor a parent by telling a story. What's strange about this story, usually the lessons that we learn from different people are from righteous people, holy people, great great sages. Here the Talmud says we're supposed to learn the lesson of honoring a parent from a Roman official whose name was Dama ben Natina, Dama the son of Natina, who lived in Ashkelon in Israel, there were many Romans living in Israel that, that, at that time. And the Talmud illustrates the honor to a parent by using his example. What happened? In the temple, the Kohen Gadol, the high priest, had to wear what is called the Choshen Mishpat, the breastplate of just, justice. And it had 12 jewels in it, each jewel corresponding to one of the 12 tribes. Well, what happened? One day, the high priest realized that the Yashve, the Jasper, was missing. It fell out of the breastplate and disappeared, so they had to replace it. And this is an unusually great, large-sized jewel, and it wasn't easy to find, but they discovered that this Roman official, Dama Benetina, had precisely that jewel. So they go to Dama Benetina, and they say, we hear that you have a jewel, a jasper, we'd like to buy it, and we're willing to pay you 100,000 silver coins. And he said, I'm sorry, I can't sell it to you now because the box in which the key, the key into the box in which the jewel is contained is lying under my father's legs who is now sleeping and I can't wake him up. So they thought he just wanted more money, so they doubled it. He said, I'm sorry, I told you I can't get it right now. They tripled and they quadrupled it and he still was not unwilling to sell it to them. So they thought... The man doesn't want to sell the jewel, so that's they'll have to go searching elsewhere, and they leave. Well, the father does wake up, and he rushes, and he gets the key, gets the box, he gets the jewel, and he runs after the rabbis, and he says, I'm willing to sell it to you. And they said, okay, we'll give you 400000 which was the 
final amount that they were willing to give. And he said, no, no, I want the original amount. I only want 100,000. I don't want to benefit off the honor that I gave my father. Okay, so here is the lesson, very powerful lesson of to what extent one should go to honor one's parents. But then the Talmud says something a little bit strange, that God wanted to reward this Netina for sacrificing 300,000 silver coins for the honor of his father. So that year, a red cow was born on his farm. Now, a red cow is a very rare thing, entirely red. It's something that was used in a ritual to purify a person who had come in contact with the dead. And the Torah in the book of Numbers says we're supposed to slaughter the red cow. It has to be perfectly red. And then you take the meat of the cow and you burn it and you take the ashes and dilute it with spring water. You take certain plants and you use it to sprinkle on the person who's contaminated on the third day and on the seventh day. Then that person is now ritually clean and they're allowed to enter into the temple, without which they couldn't enter the temple. So this cow is very rare. In all of the Jewish history, there were only nine cows that were used for this ritual. The tenth cow will be available and used in the days of Mashiach. So this cow is an exor- commands an exorbitant price, and he got back his 300,000 silver coins that he forfeited when he wanted to honor his father by not waking him up. So God repaid him for that loss of money that he could have made if he had not honored his father. So the question has been asked, if God wanted to reward someone financially with whatever amount it is, why a red cow? Why this particular reward? He could have found some jewels that were worth that amount of money. He could have won the lottery, if they had lotteries in those days. He could have succeeded in his business ventures. Why did it have to come through a red cow? So one way of looking at it and understanding it, this is based on a Hasidic commentary by the Chidushi Harim, the first uh, leader of the Hasidic Ger movement, but I'm going to apply it specifically to the idea of gratitude. You see, when Dhamma Benatina, a Roman official, and the Romans were not held in very high esteem at that time, this is a time close to the destruction of the Second Temple by the Romans. The Romans were extremely cruel and sadistic. So if we're going to learn a lesson from the Romans, we have to be very careful. So we're learning a lesson from this Dhamma about how to honor a father. So it looks, it reflects badly on the Jewish people because here is a heathen. We assume that he was an idol worshiper as most of the Romans were. He was a heathen. And here he went to such extremes to honor his father. So it looks very bad for the Jewish people because did they show gratitude because that's the essence of honoring a father, showing gratitude for all that they did for us. Did we show gratitude to our fathers, literal fathers, or to our father in heaven? And we seem to to come short in that regard. The fact that the Talmud has to give us an illustration from a Roman means that there were not such good illustrations from Jewish people. And that reflects very badly on the Jewish people. So what does God do to remedy that bad reputation that we seem to have gotten, that we don't show gratitude, the type of gratitude of the quid pro quo form, where 
we show that we're going to be grateful to someone for what they gave us and reciprocate in kind. So what does God do? God shows that in the contrary. Yes, we might fall short sometimes, but we make up for it in tons of gratitude that goes beyond the quid pro quo. And how is that? When we are willing to spend the exorbitant amount of money, 300,000 silver coins, for a red cow, which has no value other than, well, it has minimal value as a cow, but it has almost virtually no value except when used in this ritual. And what is this ritual? What is the benefit of this ritual? The Torah says this is called a chukah, a commandment that is above logic. It's not rational. It's not something we do because we understand why we're doing it. It makes us feel good. It inspires us. It's something we do strictly because God said, I want you to do it. And we are willing to reciprocate and give God something that doesn't really give us anything that we could appreciate. It's not something that we could say, wow, it was such an exciting experience. In fact, the uh, sages tell us that this is a commandment that the nations of the world and the heretics mock us and say, well, are you crazy? You're spending so much money to do what? To do something that makes no sense? It's irrational. And yet we're willing to go to the greatest of extremes and lengths to do God's bidding. That shows that our gratitude is not founded in a reciprocal relationship, quid pro quo. You do something for me, I owe you something. You know, there are people who tell you, I owe this person a favor. Why? Because they did a favor to me in the past. That's perfectly all right. <clears throat> but that's quid pro quo. That is a limited form of gratitude. What we are capable of and what is a challenge for us to achieve is that our gratitude should go way beyond anything that we received. And that's where we come to the whole idea of looking at a relationship with God and with others more than just a contractual relationship. It's a spiritual relationship. And when we're dealing with relationships, it's not quid pro quo. Take, for example, a marriage, which is the ultimate relationship, which is the model of the relationship God has with us. So in a marriage, you marry someone because you find they have certain qualities, and you, you hear that they're smart, they're kind, they're capable, and whatever other qualities they have, and you're willing to commit yourself to that person. No, it would sound like you're committing yourself and reciprocating whatever value they give you, you're going to give them. You have a relationship. You give me 50%, I'll give the other 50%, and together we have 100%. But that's not the way a marriage works, a good marriage, an authentic marriage. A good marriage works that, yes, while it started by recognizing the value that the other gives to you in the marriage, they, they're a good breadwinner, they're, they're fun to be with, and all the other qualities that people may look for in a mate, but once that marriage is contracted, it's not a contract, it's a covenant. It's a relationship, a profound spiritual relationship in which you give much more than the other one gives you. In fact, each side gives 100% to the other. You get zero, but you give 100% because there's nothing more than 100%. But that happens from both sides. That's what an ideal marriage is. So it's, it's gratitude, but it's gratitude that goes beyond 
the things that you get, you're giving more than what you're getting. In our daily prayers, three times every day, seven days a week, every day of the year, in the Amida, the standing prayer, which is the most central prayer of our, of our day, the 18th blessing of that prayer, there were 19 blessings. Originally, it was 18. It was called Shemona Esrei, the 18, the prayer of the 18, but a 19th prayer was added. So the 18th prayer reads, and all those who are alive... Thank you forever. So we have the idea of gratitude, and we have the idea of gratitude being associated with being alive. What does that tell us? It tells us that gratitude is much more than just quid pro quo. You give me this, I'll give you that. It tells you what life is all about. It's the soul of life. Life is not complete life without gratitude. Gratitude is what makes life real. Because what is the definition of life? Let's look at a simple definition. Let's take a plant. The plant is alive. What expresses its ability to be alive? What makes it alive? The fact that it grows. If a plant ceases growing, then you'd say it's not really alive. But for an animal, growth is not enough to be defined as being alive. It has to be mobile. The animal can move around. For a human being, even mobility doesn't define a human being's life. The human being has to have a relationship, which means the human being has to be able to go out of itself to relate to others, to give up of their own ego, of their own interests for the sake of others, which is what gratitude is all about. So when the, when the prayer says, and all those who are alive thank you forever, it's trying to tell us that life and gratitude are almost synonymous. In fact, there's a correlation that has often been made between gratitude and happiness. Happy people are grateful and grateful people are happy. Why is that? Because the definition of gratitude is going out of yourself. That's what makes you alive. And what is happiness? Happiness is where you're expressive because the opposite of happiness is where you're constricted. Happiness means where you're open. And in fact, there's a Hasidic maxim that says that joy, simcha, happiness, can break through all the boundaries. Wherever you're in an emotional prison, if you become happy, you get out of that prison. You're able to leave yourself. The unhappy person is the person who's totally enveloped in his, his or her own self and doesn't have a, 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 the ability to relate to others. They're locked up in a prison. Joy, happiness is getting out of yourself, getting away from that prison. So happiness and gratitude are really almost synonymous. That's why one never naturally leads to the other. T let's take that prayer and all those who are alive thank you forever. The Hebrew word for alive, <coughs> excuse me, is chayim. The Rebbe, Lubavitcher Rebbe, I once heard from him explain why the word chayim is a plural word. It's plural. Why is life plural? And the Rebbe's answer is because life is plural. Life, in its truest sense, 
is where you have a relationship with another, where you live with another, where you live for another, where your focus is the other. If you're lacking any of those forms of connection to other, then your life is not fully a life. And that's what he means when he says, and all those who are alive, all those who have a relationship will thank you. Why? Because if you don't have relationships, if you're just into yourself, then you're not fully alive, and therefore you can't be grateful. Gratitude and life go hand in hand. Let's look a little more more deeply into what this prayer is saying. All those who are alive will thank you. Our authorities of Jewish law point out that the word Chaim is an acronym for four types of dangerous situations that when a person successfully navigates those situations and comes out safely, they have to thank God. In fact, uh, even today, when a person was in an accident, let's say, where, where the life was threatened, they would come to the synagogue on the day that the Torah is read, and they will recite a special blessing of thanksgiving. And everyone responds and answers that blessing with their own phrase of praise. And these four categories, according to most opinion, these are four categories, are represented by the word Chaim, life. The Ches, the first letter of the word Chaim, stands for Chola, person who is sick, person who's seriously ill and recovers, has to thank God. Yud stands for Yisurin, suffering, which refers specifically to a person who was in prison and released from prison. Their their lives were threatened, were undermined. They have to thank God. The The third letter, again, the letter Yud, stands for Yam, the sea, someone who traverses the sea. The sea is fraught with danger. You have to thank God. The last letter of the word Chaim, the letter Mem, stands for Midbar, the desert. Someone travels through the desert. The desert is full of dangerous uh, threats to our lives, snakes, scorpions, no water, no food, and so on. So when we look at these four, which are the four models for things that could go wrong, and we have to be grateful when we avoid these things, when we evade them, when we transcend them, could be used as a metaphor to talk about four different things that happened, could happen to undermine and challenge a relationship, a marriage in particular, but a relationship in general. And when you get around and you survive these four challenges, then you are truly chayim, you are truly alive, because your relationship is intact. And these are the things for which we have to show gratitude. Because when you have a good relationship, an ideal relationship, you will be a very grateful person. What are these four things in terms of a relationship? So let's go them go down the list one by one. The first one we said was chola, a person who was sick. There are a lot of relationships that are lethargic, that have no life in them. You just go on trudging day by day, your same relationship. You wake up in the morning, you do whatever you do, your same schedule, your your relationship with your spouse or with your friend or whatever it is, is without any love, without any feeling, without any emotion. That's what we call a sick relationship. That's not Chaim. That's not called life. There's no vitality there. Then we have the second one, which is Yisurin, suffering because of prison. Sometimes you can be in a relationship where the other side of the relationship 
keeps you in prison, controls you, doesn't give you your independence. You're just a satellite of the other. You have no independent existence. You're just like a prisoner. That's a very unhealthy relationship as well, of course. Then you have yam. Yam is the sea. Sea is sometimes seen as the symbol of turbulence. You have a relationship. There's a lot of activity, a lot of energy, but it's a negative energy, full of turbulence, full of arguments back and forth. And then you have Midbar, the desert. The desert is a threatening environment. And that's the relationship. And also it's filled with, the Torah describes the desert as a place with snakes and scorpions. It's a threatening environment. It's an abusive and hostile environment. That, of course, is perhaps one of the worst, if not the worst form of a bad relationship, one which is the opposite of Chaim. When you can get out of these four types of relationships, you put a lot of spirit in your relationship. It's not lethargic at all. You respect the other person's independence and integrity. You don't imprison the other person. You get rid of the turbulence in the relationship. There's a peaceful relationship and you get rid of the abuse and the hostility, then your relationship is truly chayim. It's truly a living relationship. It's the one that requires true gratitude. But this gratitude is not a quid pro quo because in a relationship you give much more than what you feel you're getting because you're getting something that is beyond limits in a real relationship because the real relationship is one that your soul is connected to god or to the other person in whatever relationship we're talking about and that makes the relationship a infinite one one that is going to last forever and in fact the way we translate this uh phrase this blessing and all those who are alive will thank you the hebrew word at the end of the sentence is the word selah now, the Talmud says whenever the word sela is mentioned, it means eternally. The quid pro quo relationship has its limits. It will last for a certain amount of time. As soon as there's less of what the other side gives you, you will reduce the gratitude, and the gratitude will get weaker and weaker. When it is a chayim type of gratitude, when it's real life, it's expressive of real life, with all vitality and the relationship is complete, then Yoducha Sela, we will thank God and thank whoever it is that we're in a relationship with, the marriage in particular, that will be eternal. It will get will not get weaker, it'll get stronger with the passage of time. And that's the fourth ingredient in gratitude, that it grows rather than wanes. You see, in our society, marriage most marriages begin with love, romance, excitement, passion, and most marriages end with the four different conditions that I mentioned. They're either lethargic, they're controlling, they're turbulent or abusive. So how is that? Because people view the relationship as a contractual relationship. You give me and I'll give you in kind. But when a relationship is a l'chaim relationship, a true relationship that goes beyond the benefits that you get from the other, then that relationship will endure forever. And not only that, it'll get stronger and stronger. This explains why when Mashiach comes, the only private offering in the temple will be the thanksgiving offering, because then we will truly have gratitude in its finest form, in its infinite form, 
in the form that transcends the quid pro quo. Thanks for listening to The Rabbi Greenberg Show. 